Hello, hello, and welcome to Decrypting AI, our weekly conversation here on X, formerly known as Twitter, where we talk about the latest news in artificial intelligence. Um, we will go over some news, see if these stories are representative of a high, a low, or an uh-oh in the development of this technology. And uh, if anybody has comments or questions, you're welcome to request the mic. But otherwise, we will just recap our stories and share a little bit more news about Decrypt and the Emerge Hub at the end of today's conversation. I'd like to welcome our co-host, Jason. Nelson, are you there? And how are you doing? I'm here, sir. How are you doing? Fantastic. It is, of course, 6 a.m. It's not even sunrise here in Honolulu, but you are on the West Coast, so probably have seen a little bit of sun. Everything going well? Uh, no sun to speak of. In fact, it's actually sprinkling a bit here. Oh, well, <laughs> um, that's the only difference between any of the seasons here in Hawaii. It is either raining or it is not raining. Um, otherwise, it's pretty much the same. Well, we should get things started. And you turned in a metric buttload of AI stories in the last week. So I think I'll leave it to you to share what uh, you wanted to start our conversation about. Well, I think we should probably start it off with Meta. Uh, they've had um, they've they've gone heavy into AI, but uh, their history as a social media company has once again become a has once again reared its head, and uh, looks like it could be biting them in the butt. Uh, yesterday, thirty four states filed suit against Meta uh, for claims of manipulating kids on Facebook and Instagram, contributing to mental health issues. And this is a big deal because each state is uh, demanding damages between $5,000 and $25,000 per incident, which if they win that, I have no idea what Meta intends to do having to pay out that much money. Yeah, you're talking about billions because per incident is basically per kid <laughs> impacted in each of these states. And it's true that we've watched Meta have this sort of crisis of identity going to saying, well, of course, renaming themselves Meta because the future is the metaverse and now becoming an AI company first, although they insist that AI is in service of this future metaverse, but yet the problems that have plagued it for the last five years or more in terms of claims of its impact on the health of young people are is back. Now, what I thought was interesting is that Meta is already using artificial intelligence in its products specifically to detect things that might be harmful for children and uh, like harassment, um, people who are adults who contact uh, minors by DM as a habit, it can now sort of detect this suspicious behavior and nip it in the bud and, of course, identifying harmful content. So AI is in uh, Meta's products even before they became an AI company. But uh, certainly, I think we've all seen the stories and we've all uh, heard that, you know, people are posting to Instagram and getting poor body image um, harassment and bullied and things like that. So it's not a great thing for um, Meta to be going through. Jason, is this a high or a low or an uh-oh in the world of AI? 
It's a low and an uh-oh for Meta because there's 34 states <laughs> suing them for this very thing. Uh, the other, the other thing that uh, is interesting about this is, as this lawsuit is rolling out, Meta is also rolling out more products, like you were just saying, uh, focused on AI, including AI chatbots voiced by celebrities and influencers. Now, I use ChatGPT. ChatGPT has a is is getting to the point where it can respond voice to, but it doesn't sound like Snoop Dogg. So when you're doing that, you're doing it to target a specific audience. When you want, uh, I think it's Kylie Jenner, Snoop Dogg, Tom Brady, and a couple of other people, you, you're targeting a demographic that wants to interact with those people. And I think that demographic skews younger. And that is what uh, I think is a part of what this legal issue is, is you are while not expressly targeting a younger demographic that can skew as young as the 13-year-old age limit that Meta puts on all of his products. Yeah, I wish I was in tune with what the average 13-year-old was interested in because I could come up with a funny example of a chatbot celebrity that a kid would really be into. But, of course, I would say something like, I don't know, Blue's Clues or Dora the Explorer, and I don't think they're cool anymore. But anyway... Yeah, you know, if their products are compelling and interesting to minors, then they're going to have to show more than they have about what they're doing to protect the kids who use their platforms. But they're not dumb. I mean, people say, you know, Facebook is for old people and probably Instagram is aging out too. So as they expand their product line, they have to be bringing in young people to survive as a company. So it's a double-edged sword for them. I agree. It's an uh-oh for our friends at Meta, even though they're trying to do um, more in AI. Now, a, a story that I thought you did that was pretty cool was about these attempts to stop companies from ingesting material by creators and artists by poisoning the data. Data poisoning sounds just so dramatic, but I'm not sure exactly what it means uh, so what is this company, uh, what is this Nightshade, of course, the name of a poisonous, um, is it a mushroom? Anyway, what, what is Nightshade? Well, Nightshade is, it's, it's, uh, it's more of a concept than it is a actual um, product at this point. What it is, is you're taking, okay, so AI image generators, just like, most generative AI models harvest data and harvest images and text from the internet. So that's one reason why we had that article we wrote a few weeks ago about the writers suing, um, I think it was OpenAI that particular time. And so what the idea is, okay, I can't stop you from taking this thing because quite frankly, I don't even know that you're doing it because you're not telling me you're doing it. So I'm going to use nightshade to basically corrupt my image online so that when you ingest it, you ingest the corruption that's embedded in the data. Now, what that corruption looks like is mislabeling the data to produce, say you wanted to ask Dolly to create an image of a house in the style of Rembrandt. 
Well, if all the data in that data set that Dolly and, and Jess says a house looks like a dog, every time someone comes to Dolly says and enters that prompt, it will come up with a dog instead of a house. Now, that can be easily corrected by just user interaction by saying, okay, well, this isn't right. And so the AI will be like, okay, well, I can't do that, so I'll do it like this. And it'll do the house in somebody else's style. So the idea is we put this out there, let the art community know it's there. And then if everybody does it, the AI has nothing to fall back on to create an AI image generated on your work. So it can, it can already do the work that's already been ingested, but it can't do future work to the point where if it just can't do it, it might even crash the system because it's just going to kick back error after error after error, almost like a DDoS attack, but it's not maliciously pointed at the AI. It's because the AI sucked this information in and now it can't function. Yeah, I thought that was kind of clever. They're like, we can put a big uh, honeypot of data out on the internet. It's full of, I think, I think the example you used was like, label every cat a dog, label every dog a cat. And then when you ask the AI system after it has swallowed this poison pill to generate an image of a cute cat, it might come up with something pretty monstrous that is not identifiable as either. Uh, and I like that they also said that artists can contribute to creating these poison pills by basically mislabeling their work. Like I'm really known for doing pictures of flowers, uh, painting pictures of flowers in a particular style, but I'm going to label everything I do helicopter. The, the, the challenge being, of course, is that those labels are useful to humans. So certainly I wouldn't want my art to be mislabeled for people looking for flowers. Uh, but also, they, they must be talking about a significant amount of data because if you have to counteract the identification of cats across the entire internet, I mean, you're doomed. There's, the volume of information to provide information on what a cat is, is uh I can't imagine trying to counteract something like that. Do you think that? Well, yeah, yeah, uh, go ahead. Well, that's that's how uh, because he the I talked to uh, Dr. Ben Zhao. He's one of the uh, Professor Ben Zhao. I'm sorry, who was one of the researchers on the Night State Project. And it's not about changing what a cat looks like or a dog looks like. It's about create an image and a style of Jason Nelson cat dog. So if you're trying to mimic my style, because that's what a lot of these image generators do, then it will corrupt that image. So it's not actually that many, that much data. It depends on the artist. It could be anywhere from a few hundred to a few thousand images. So that's how they're making this possible in a manageable way. Oh, I see. So the data set would be labeled uh, with my name, but perhaps just contain gobbledygook. So it wouldn't know what represents the kind of work that I generate. But, exactly. uh, hi, low, uh-oh, what do you think, uh, Jason? For artists, I would say it's a high because one of the complaints that artists and writers have is that these things are being taken without their permission. And by using this, you kind of force the AI developers to come to you and say, we want to put your images in our generator. How much do you want to pay for it? And then that way you force them to compensate you 
before they can use your your image or words or whatever. Yeah, I think it's a high too. I mean, basically, it's clever thinking. It's saying, um, I'm going to put uh, cloud over my uh, uh, name. I'm going to blur it out like uh, Google in the UK. And if you want to be able to know really what people like about my art, you're going to have to pay for it. So pretty, pretty clever. And it's interesting because the, the, the Professor Zhao, the way he put it, was it's it's not an attack it's more like a poison barbed wire fence if you stay away from it you'll be fine (laughs) it's like so it's not about me harming you it's about you harming yourself messing with my data right because you're just putting it on the internet It's, it's on them for for sucking it up in the first place so pretty cool pretty cool now jason you did some enterprise reporting that not to say that, you know, sex sells, but we've been covering, you have been covering, including on the front lines of the picket lines there in Hollywood, about the debate and fear of performers, actors in using AI to use their likeness and profit off of them, even when they're not being compensated. But uh, you took it to another level by by looking at um, some of the coverage that Jose at our um, Emerge and Decrypt have done about the role of AI in adult entertainment. And you got to talk to an adult entertainer to see about that intersection of, um, you know, the hijacking of someone's likeness for, um, you know, taking money out of their possible earnings capability, but specifically dealing with the adult industry. What What did you learn? Well, I spoke to Tanya Tate, who is an an OG in the uh, adult industry. She started up in 2009. And she also runs a PR firm uh, called Star Factory. So what we were talking about is the fact that if you... the, The conversation around AI and actors and writers and all that stuff started with uh, you know, the WGA and with SAG AFRA and in the mainstream. That's how most people became aware of this issue of um, unauthorized use of AI, lack of compensation, etc. But it's also uh, it's also an issue in the adult film industry because number one, the adult industries don't have mainstream advocates standing up for them and their uh, rights against you know, un, unfair use of their image, unfair use of their likeness, content, whatever, in these AI generators that can basically put their face on whatever scene the programmer wants. So what, in my discussion with Tanya, what she was talking about is also the fact that with the sag writer uh, actors and the WJ writers wanting residuals, Residuals isn't something that's common in the adult industry already. So the fact that you have these people arguing for pay me what I'm worth and pay me for every time this thing is viewed, that uh, for an adult uh, entertainer, that could be worth millions in residuals based on how many websites and how many image sites they already appear on that they weren't paid for. Well, I liked how... You know, she pointed out that this felt like when basically VHS, which many people credit pornography with advancing as a technology, came out and basically people were recording and distributing content after some poor 
bloke paid for it. But after that, it was being pirated. And then, of course, we just talk about the Internet in general as a free platform where people could take content that was paid for and just distribute it to the entire universe for free. So they're definitely familiar with this kind of, uh, for lack of a better word, exploitation in the world of rapidly advancing technology. In fact, technology significantly advances as a result of the more prurient interests of human beings. But uh, the fact that uh, you were seeing also AI already being used to generate adult content and specifically creating fake people that, as she pointed out, were just completely perfect, you know, no flaws, no wrinkles, no moles or weird um, marks, that uh, it's almost impossible to compete with that as well. So it's a it's it's a double triple whammy because they don't have the kind of defenses that SAG-AFTRA or uh, more mainstream industry does. But they're probably you know buried in more AI than anybody else right now. Well, there's also it, it's the defenses come from good policies and good regulation of AI and its uses because with with good policy in place uh, a dot performer can sue a person who is using their image without permission without compensation they can request a cease and desist order they can do things like that but if no one is going to stand up for that industry and say we're going to protect them too then that's not going to happen and a lot of that still revolves around the stigma behind pornography, because you're I defy you to find a single member of Congress right now who's going to stand up and say, I'm here to speak on behalf of the porn industry. It's probably not going to happen. So they're they're relying on the mainstream protest and the mainstream strikes behind residuals and regulation to filter down to their industry because they don't have anyone standing up in their defense saying this needs to include these people too. And certainly, you know, it, it's probably high time that the work of uh, mainstream artists and creators um, trickle down, question mark, to <laughs> um, all entertainers of all genres, whether it's adult or otherwise niche. So, um, what do you say? High, low, or uh-oh in the world of AI and adult entertainment? I'd say it's a low just because it's it's basically leaving a whole group of people out of the AI regulation conversation because you don't like what they do. And it's going to have harmful implications because as long as people have to live in the shadows, then other people will feel obliged to use their content, use their images however they want because they know you're not going to do anything about it. So right now it's a low primarily for regulation. Yeah, um, I can probably agree with that too, unfortunately. You know, they're, um, they're a, shall we say, underrepresented group and so as a result more likely to be exploited. And I mean, the fact of the matter is tools that can do this are now so accessible. We... Uh, not for these nefarious purposes, of course, simply for entertainment purposes, uh, published a guide recently about how to use a tool that can swap faces 
um, on either a Mac or a PC. And uh, I mean, yeah, and it, it, it was surprising even to me how straightforward it was. There are fortunately protections in this particular tool to prevent the creation of not safe for work content, but still um, getting around safeguards is what geeks do. So I can imagine it's not going to be long before that is circumvented as well. I think we've got time for maybe one more story. Did you catch um, Meta's, uh, going back to Meta, I guess, making bringing us full circle, their, um, their Habitat project that uh, Jose wrote about. Do you have a chance to take a look at that story? It's, I, I did actually, and it's very interesting because Meta is basically trying to create a, I, I guess the best way you could put it is a visual Alexa, where it's not just something you hear coming out of a device, it's actually something that is present in your home. My first reaction is, yeah, who has access to that? And <laughs> I mean, I don't even like the idea of putting uh, ring cameras in my house. So putting a, a AI who can <laughs> walk around in my house and engage with me in my house is not something that I want on my Christmas list. So, but it is interesting that Meta is really going hard into this technology. Well, I like, I forgot what the word was that they used to describe it. It was like embodied AI, like AI in a physical space. And certainly that is how the end of the world will eventually come. There's science fiction all about this. But, you know, there was a story, I think, last week that, you know, you that AI can now manipulate and spin a pen in a robot hand. And I'm like, great, that's such a useful technology uh, skill. But what Meta has done, for example, is working on human AI robot uh, collaboration, you know, cooperation in a domestic space, for example, cleaning a kitchen or clearing a room of scattered toys. And I'm like, well, that actually sounds like something that would be pretty helpful if they're able to do that. And the interesting thing about Habitat is that they're training these um, skills in a metaverse, basically a shared virtual space that can be generated instantly and basically emulates the home environment, a kitchen, a den, a bedroom, and things like that. So I don't know, um, plugging anything robotic and AI into a physical object in your space sounds like a bad idea, but at least in this case, they're coming up with examples like helping somebody who might have a disability or helping someone who's become elderly. Um, it's one thing to have devices, which they do now, that, you know, have conversations and keep their mental acuity high and plays puzzles with them and games with them. But if, it, uh, if it's something that you need help with, like just making the bed or maybe cutting an orange or opening a bottle, I think that would be very useful for a, a robot or some kind of assistant uh, could do. I think, though... Because with all of this technology, my cybersecurity hat comes on. And as we know, anything connected to the internet can be hacked. So the idea of just dumping all of this technology into people's homes, just, you know, and what's the term, willy-nilly, that could have some very deep-reaching uh, uh, cybersecurity issues that, you know, People could be getting spied on. People could have their information stolen, their identity stolen. If you're going to offer these products at this level, your cybersecurity has to be 
so on point that it's, it's basically Fort, Fort Knox in somebody's house because you are opening these people up, the general public, to basically any number of people who know how to hack not only the internet but AI models too. Well, you know, not to throw in the, a, a stealth extra story, but, you know, there was uh, the new Snapdragon 8 version 3 that came out from um, its manufacturer, and it's basically a mobile device processor that is custom-built to do on-device AI. One of the things that struck me when you mentioned that is that, for better or worse, we could probably be seeing a world where these AI-powered agents or entities don't even need an internet connection and can operate fairly autonomously, which means, at least, unlike a, a ring camera or you know something that is fully connected to the internet, might actually be more resistant to being hacked or exploited or used by someone outside of the home. I don't know, um, just food for thought, but it sounds like to me this is an uh-oh for you or even a low? Yeah, this is a, this is below, how do you, what's lower than low? <laughs> because that's how I am with this one. Because, you know, ChatGPT, ChatGPT 3, 3.5, is very powerful. But it's even more powerful when you plug it into the internet. You know, when you do browse with Bing, that, that feature. When you use Bing in um, Microsoft's browser, ChatGPT is much more powerful because it's connected to the internet. They're going to connect this thing to the internet because that's the only way they'll be able to make it as more advanced than their competitors. They're, they're going to do that. And I just hope that cybersecurity is top of mind instead of an afterthought when it comes to this technology. Well, we generally know that cybersecurity tends to be an afterthought when we're living in a world of move fast and break things. But uh, So I'm going to have to share your uh-oh. But uh, again, as somebody, or even in Hawaii, we have a lot of startups that are focused on the, what we, what we call them kupuna, but what everyone else would call an elderly, you know, elder care um, we're already seeing AI coming into that space to help people stay at home longer, take care of themselves better. So I'm I'm going to hold out tiny a tiny glimmer of hope, but it is probably something scary, and it's not as if we need more meta in our world. I think that covers the news for the week. Um, I do want to mention that uh, Emerge, which is our emerging technology hub at Decrypt, um, also has a newsletter that you might want to sign up for. It covers AI, and it is actually written by an AI. You can look for the Artificially Intelligent um, newsletter at decrypt.co slash emerge, and we are going to be launching a longevity and biohacking newsletter soon, so keep an eye out for that. But finally, we have started a series called How to AI. How to AI is a more practical side of Decrypt and Emerge to help people actually use these tools that we're talking about. They're not just hypothetical. You can get your hands on them right now. And Jason, you're working on a series. Uh, what are some of the how-to AI pieces uh, we have and can be looking forward to? Well, we have AI tools for teachers, AI tools for students. Uh, we have AI tools for writers, uh, content creators. We already did one for YouTubers. So it's basically just going to be how to use these tools. I mean, it's a very complex topic, uh, but we tried to break it down to uh, digestible levels and 
you know, Jose, uh, we have to get him in here one of these days. Jose is is amazing at this as coverage. If you think we're good, you, I can't wait for you to meet Jose. He is on point. Shout out to Jose. And, you know, and we're just going to make it so that everyday people can understand this. The way we broke down crypto and Web3, we're breaking down AI and emerging technology. Yeah, I would have to agree. Jose is the um, the wizard. He's installing these things on his computer and running them and testing them and reviewing them. So although your how-to AIs are very accessible and I'm, I'm looking, I, I enjoyed the one for YouTubers and how AI can help you create content on that platform. If you want to hack this stuff, that's where you're going to be looking for Jose's coverage. So yes, how-to AI, a new series on Emerge on Decrypt. So check that out. We will be back in one week again at noon Eastern or 6 a.m. Honolulu to do decrypting AI and cover the weekly highs, lows, and uh-ohs in artificial intelligence. Now, Jason, I don't know if you have uh, Grimes ready to go, but we'll probably just be playing ourselves off here and ending the show. Thank you very much for listening this week, and we'll catch you in seven days. Take care. Uh, thanks, Jason. Thank you. See you all next week. <laughs>